Good evening. My honor to be here tonight. This this shiur bezrat Hashem will be le'ilui nishmat Avraham Moshe ben Mazal aniado. And Sophie Sophie Batlea and Lerfuat Bully Bazeli Bat Adasa, Lelui Nishmat Rafael Frida Hatamov, and Lelui Nishmat Ephraim Pesach Ben Shlomo Itzhak and Sara, and Lelui Nishmat Rafael Ben Rifka Katanov. And Lerefuat uh, Rina Bat Mazal. Leilui Nishmat Sophia Sonia Batsar. I hope I cover everyone. Also, Refuash Lema of Nahum, Ben Milko, and Zakai, Ben Aver, Zecharia. Baruch Hashem. Hashem, we are now facing Purim, and that's about one year since all this problem started in the world. And Akalosh Baruch Hu decided to shake everyone up, to shake countries, to shake families, to shake individuals, to shake yeshivot, synagogues. Basically, I don't think there's one person in the world that can say I was not influenced by what happened. Some more, some less. Some people lost everything. Many people mentally are sad now. It's not what it was. But the biggest problem that the corona did Yes, there's thousands of dead, we know. But the biggest problem the corona did for the Jewish nation is increase the sinat chinam by millions of percent. Not thousand, millions of percent. Increase the sinat chinam. The amount of fights between secular people and religious people in Israel went to the worst it's ever been. The amount of fights between religious to religious, between secular to secular, between Jews and non-Jews, between politicians, between yeshivot and their students, between people that are pro-vaccine and people that are anti-vaccine. The amount of dirt the amount of millions of millions of words of Lashon Hara online, in the internet, people against each other, the separation it created will take now probably a thousand years to fix the damage. One of the main reasons that... uh, One of the main reasons is that people... Everybody sees on truth. It's very hard for a person to see also the truth of the person that argue with him. 
even when you learn Gemara, you bachur yeshiva, you learn 20 years, you have chevruta. When he gives you a different pshat or different understanding, most people are not open. They're not open for suggestion, for other options. It's my way or the highway. There's no other way. There's no other way. It has to be my way. In Purim, Chachamim tells us that when Mashiach comes, all the holidays one day will be cancelled except Purim. Purim will still be in days of Mashiach. <coughs> we have a Gemara that the mitzvot will never change. Even when Mashiach comes, you can't change mitzvot. Why are you going to tell people you're allowed now to make this avera? Shh. You're allowed to make sins? No, no, it's not possible. The Torah, one of, one of the 13 principles of Judaism, as this Torah will never ever change. Not before Mashiach, not after Mashiach. Things will change in the world when Mashiach comes, yes. There will be no more Yetzirah. Kosh Baruch will eliminate the Satan. There will be no more anti-Semite goyim. There will not be war anymore. There will be no more Reshaim in the world. All the wicked people will be all cleaned out from the world. But the mitzvot will still be in, in effect. There will be a third Bet HaMikdash. People will learn Torah in the highest level it's ever been because it's not going to be Yetzirah like now. There's not going to be politics anymore. The Torah will be pure, will be clean. Because right now the Torah that we learn in the world is not clean. It's not perfect yet. Why? Because there's a lot of politics in it. I give you an example what I mean. If you're going to say, Rav Chaim Kanievsky say everybody must do this. I told it to one Hasid Satmer today. He's listening to me, so Baruch Hashem, I made his head think without politics. But before he knew me, in Satmer they train you that everyone that was born in Israel is Rasha. Why? Because it's Tzioini. Even if he's not Tzioini. Chaim Kanievsky is not Tzioini. <coughs> the last thing he cares about is the Israeli government. Or all the other Rashaim that sits in the Knesset. He's a man of the truth. He can never say a lie out of his mouth. You come to Rav Chaim Kanievsky and tell him, I'll give you a million dollars, I want you to lie for me. Write to me a letter that I'm your student, I, I want to get a job. I'll give you a million dollars. <laughs> he would look at you like you, you lost your mind. Not only that, Rav Chaim Kanievsky comes from a generation of holy people. He grew up with the most important rabbi on earth when, when he was alive, the stipler, his father. Chazonish is his uncle. His, his, his wife comes from an important family. So it's unbelievable when Rav Chaim Kanievsky was a, was a kid, his father was writing books, the books of the stiplers. He had Ruach HaKodesh, was a big tzaddik. One time, the stipler needed 7,000 lirot to print his book. 
let's say like $7,000 today. And one rich man walked in. Now remember, these were days in Israel when everyone was poor. There was no rich people. Everyone was poor. Some people had what to eat. Some people did not even have what to eat. They had to wait for the British to give them food stamps. That they can go to the truck and get a bag of flour and they were eating bread. That's it. There's nothing else to eat. People could not afford to buy shoes. Not like our American spoiled kids that each one of them has 30 pairs of shoes. And before they leave the house, they have a five minutes debate. Which shoes will I wear today? Back then it was seven brothers. They all wear the same pair of shoes. When you finish with that, your, your, your feet grew. And it goes to your next brother, and next one, and I keep patching it and sewing it. I asked my father, but I don't understand, what happens if your leg grow longer than your brother? What? Everybody doesn't have the same uh, feet. He told me we cut the front, so the toes will come out. We actually cut the front, the leather, so the toes would come out. There's nothing else. Who could afford to buy a new pair of shoes? Twenty years, one pair of shoes. This is, this was a different world. Avovadia Yosef said that uh, the house he grew up with all his brothers and everyone, they slept the whole family in one room, size of this room. That was the house. There's no bedrooms. Bathroom was a little cabin in the, in the back. Everybody sleeps, beds right here. That's the house. There's table here, you eat here, you sleep here. Everybody in one room. So when they wanted to map the floor, <coughs> Where is he going to go? They have to move everything. So he would put a chair in the middle and stand on the chair and then learn Gemara when they mapped the floor because there was nowhere to go. You don't have to go upstairs, rest a little bit. This is how it was. So somebody came to the stipler and he said, I heard you want to print your book, Rabbi. Here is 7,000 lirot. It's a miracle. The stipler told him, thank you very much, I appreciate it, but I managed already. I managed. Rafael Kanievsky is sitting in a room watching, and he knows he did not manage. He was not managed. After the person left, he asked his father, how come you told him you managed? He didn't want to say, didn't want, he did not want to insult him. He did not want to say a lie. So he said a word that can be translated in any way. I managed. Whatever that means. He said to him, how come you didn't take that? You need the money desperately. Nobody has money, this kind of money, one person to give it to you. So he said to his son, I do not want to accept money from this person. And he told him the whole story why. This person was Rasha, he did something many years ago. And I want to get money from him for his book. So Afraim Kanievsky told his father, so you prefer your book will never be printed to the world and so many people will learn to write it just because this person is Rasha, he didn't want to get money from him. He said to him, if my book will go out or not, it's in the end of Hashem. If Hashem wants it out, it will go out. If not, it will not go out. But I want to teach you now, you don't take money from everyone. Rav Chaim Kanievsky say, five minutes later, five minutes, another person walked in. Kvod Arav, I heard you looking to print a book. The, the chance that something like this will happen in the old 
Israel, poor country like this, is one to a billion. That two people would come with the full amount of money. Five minutes later, somebody walks in, Vodarav, I heard you need to print the There, How much money you need? He told him the amount, he counted the money, here is the full amount. So he said to him, you see, if you trust Hashem and you always do the right thing, everything He will do for you. You don't have to worry. This is the type of people we are talking about. Now, according to this Satmer, he would tell you, oh, they tzioinim, they were the Israeli people, the Israeli government, we don't care what they say. This is Torah with politics. Same thing if his Israeli posek would say, who is the rabbi? Is American Hasid Satmer. Ah. I don't care what he say. Why? What about what he say? Did he say the truth or he didn't say the truth? This one, oh, this one is Chabadnik. We don't care about what he say. This one is Breslev. We don't care what he say. This one is, uh, the, uh, this is the Mitnaged of Ravovadia. We are Ravovadia. We don't care what he say. That's when the Torah gets destroyed. When you become a politician, that's Mamash Sinat Chinam inside the yeshiva, the yeshivas. When the Mashiach would come, you won't have things like this. Nobody would say this is a Torah of a white guy or a black guy or Hasid or Sfaradi or Ashkenazi or modern guy. There's not going to be this kind of thing. Right now, it's not perfect. It's far from being perfect. But when the Mashiach would come, there's not going to be ego anymore. When the Rambam wrote his book, it took him 30 years to write it. 30 years, Ayad HaChazaka. Why? Because he was working all week like a slave, taking care of Arabs. The most important rabbi in the last thousand years in the world, the Rambam, was babysitter of Arabs. Muhammad, Mustafa, Kamir, let me check you. Put cream on his legs, put this, give him medicine, make medicine. This is 850 years ago. All week he stay, he, he worked by the house, by the palace of the king, and they had a place over there for the sick people. The Rambams is their slave. He's serving Arabs all six days of the week. The only Torah he learned was on Shabbat. There is no time to learn. Not only that, in the letter the Rambam writes, I have to ask Mechila from the Arabs that wait online to allow me to go and eat lunch for five minutes. Five minutes. Go to have a sandwich or something. I asked them to forgive me. Why? I need to eat five minutes. Can you wait, Mustafa, five minutes? This is how it was. So the Rambam, when his book came out, they started a big war against him. Big war. Why? They suspected the Rambam for being infidel, heretic, because he started to talk about Aristo and uh, Socrates, all kinds of Greek scholars, and about science, and about uh, stars. Nobody was used to it. Today, unfortunately, a lot of the religious people became heretic because they went to university. The university destroyed them. They became mamash kofrim. Even though they have still kippah, zakan, or whatever the, what the case is, when you speak to them about the truth of the Torah, you see they sound like goyim, not like Jews. Same thing the Goim believes in, that's what they believe in, unfortunately. 
But in the old days, there was no university. 850 years ago, who used to go to, to learn science by Goim or to talk about such things? If you only open your mouth and talk about something that is not Torah, immediately you, you become a suspect. Who for the Rambam? The biggest tzaddik in the world, Rabbeinu Yonah. There's an important book of Musa, Rabbeinu Yonah, Sha'are Tshuva. There's not one house without it. Can't, can't live without it. It's the alphabet of the foundation of Musar and repentance. Rabbeinu Yonah actually put Rambam in Kherem. The student of the Rambam wrote him a letter. It, break my heart. it breaks my heart to see what people do to you, Kvod Arav. How they burn your books and they make piles and they burn it. The Rambam said to him, I'm surprised that you are upset. Don't you know everything that happens is all from Hashem? But I will assure you that when the people will die and the ego will die with them, listen to the words, the ego will die with them, every Jewish home in the world will have my book in it. This is said when there was no printing. To write the Yad HaChazaka of the Rambam with a feather will take you a year. It's almost like Sefer Torah. It's very long. You have to write manually. You know how expensive it would be? <laughs> Who could even afford such thing? You go today, you buy a Sefer Torah, it costs you $30,000, $40,000. So imagine you have to write the books of the Rambam on a Megillot, write it down, it will cost you tens of thousands of dollars. He said to him, before he knew there's going to be such thing printing. Printing was invented 350 years after the Rambam. So that means all the books in that time was written manually. So you need to write million books of Rambam in order for it to be in every Jewish home. The chance that something like this will happen is zero, basically. Who would believe such thing? And he told him, you will, there will be a day that my books will be in every Jewish home. And what happened later? Same Rabbeinu Yonah that started everything against him realized his mistake. Why? Because he was a tzaddik. His war against the Rambam came from pure reason, not for politics, not for jealousy, not for money, no politics. He was worried that he's heretic. It's big mitzvah to destroy the Torah of heretic people, to destroy it, to burn their books, to make, to block their mouth, not to give them access to any pure neshamot, because they destroy souls. Gadola machtio, yoter mina orgo. Someone that makes people become reshaim, infidels, is worse than a mass murderer that actually killed their bodies. So Rabbeinu Yonah, what happened with him when he realized his mistake? How did he realize his mistake? that the French people in Paris started to burn the Talmud. They took the Talmud, the Gemara, and they make huge piles. Where did they do it? In that church that just got burned a year ago. Remember Notre Dame? Notre Dame? Notre Dame church. Everything that Hashem does is Midah Keneged Midah. 777 years later, after they burned the Talmud, Hashem burned their church. Do you know how expensive that church was? It's all artwork. It's never come back. I don't know who burned it, how it got burned. But you saw, in Paris, the whole building goes on fire. 
That's right there in a yard of that church, they made big piles of Talmud and burned all of them. When Rabbeinu Yonah saw that they burned the Talmud after his followers burned the books of the Rambam, he realized his mistake. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say you started a war against the rabbi. Don't listen to him. Don't read his books. Don't let him speak. You, you destroyed him. People burn his books. And then you realize you made a mistake. And you actually did it for the sake of heaven, not because you were jealous with him or you... Oh, you know, it's one much because you thought he's Rasha and Hashem showed you you made a mistake. What would you do? Keep quiet. If you are tzaddik, you will call him quietly. Now no one knows. I, I call you to apologize before Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. I made a mistake. I will fix my mistake. I'm going to say to people, please don't do that anymore. And that will be, that will be it. Would you write everywhere in the world flyers? Will you run ev the entire life to fix the mistake you did? Probably not. Rabbeinu Yonah, there was no internet back then. No telephone, no printing, no nothing. For the rest of his life, he walked from one synagogue to the other manually and announced that he made a mistake and he asked Mechila from the Rambam. And that's how the book Sha'are Tshuva came to the world. At least something came out of it. That we learned Sha'are Tshuva had to do Tshuva. He did not just leave it like that. No. He went to ask in, in public Mechila. There is a question in a Gemara when a person confesses, make confession, vidui. Should he does the vidui, should he do the vidui in public or quietly? What's better? That you come in front of the whole synagogue and say, I'm a rasha, I'm stealing, I am a halal shabbat, I am doing this, and I'm watching things like this, and I'm saying things. The whole world will know what a rasha you are. They thought you somebody important, and now they heard the list of your crimes, and now I'm doing tshuva. Or better you say quietly, shamnu, bagadnu, gazalnu, that nobody sees. If someone comes near you, you go further away. The Gemara say, we have a pasuk. Someone who covers on his crime, trying to cover his crime, will not succeed. Someone that confessed and leave the scene will be forgiven. Hashem will have mercy on him. Based on this pasuk, you're not allowed to hide your crime. You have to say to the whole world. But that's a very big chilul Hashem. You come to see, I did this, I did that, I smoked drugs, I went on Shabbat, I write uh, this, I went on my computer on Shabbat, I watch things that are not proper. Well, the whole world now is, fin you finish. Nobody wants to go near you anymore. So what does Hashem expect? The answer is, depend. If it seems between you and Hashem, you're not allowed to reveal them to the world. You have to hide it. But if it seems between men to men, you hurt somebody, you insulted him, you ruined his reputation, you stole from him, whatever the case was, 
then you have to ask Mechila in public. Especially if you insulted him in public. Now you have to also apologize in public. There was a case in Yerushalayim with a boy, Bachur Yeshiva, that started to become modern. Started to become modern. The yeshiva was very strict yeshiva. The teacher told him, I don't think this yeshiva is for you anymore. You're going to find yourself yeshiva for modern boys. Kicked him out, basically. A year later, the boy showed up. This was like 12th grade, when he was 18. Two years later, he showed up to the yeshiva with invitations in his hand. I, I came to invite you to my wedding. He's getting married. The teacher looked at him and said, how do you have the nerve to show up like this? Please get out of here. Don't come here in front of everyone. He turned around and left. He didn't give him an option to give out the invitations. So... When the boy was getting married under the chuppah, not one of his friends showed up. Empty. No friends. Nobody to dance. Nobody. Under the chuppah, he was so broken-hearted. It's supposed to be the happiest moment of your life. became the saddest moment of his life. That he was so broken that he cursed that rabbi. That Hashem should give him a biggest punishment. Tov. After a few weeks, that rabbi had a big accident. He climbed on a ladder in a house to change a light bulb. He fell from the ladder. He broke his hip and legs and bones and ribs. He's in terrible condition. While it happened to him, he's in a hospital now for six months. His wife died at the same time. So he's almost paralyzed. In the meantime, he lost his job in yeshiva. He was a rabbi, so he's not working anymore. He's in a hospital, cannot move, and his wife died. Like the worst thing that can happen. And as he's in the hospital, this boy, his mother passed years before, his mother starting to come to him in a dream. I want you to go to visit the rabbi, that rabbi. Sticking to his mother in a dream. Well, I don't want to see his face. He destroyed my wedding and this. Please go. She came a few times in a dream. Please go and visit him. He felt bad for his mother. He started to ask around where he can find him. He said, in here? He had a big accident. He's already months in the hospital. This is the hospital in Yerushalayim. He showed up in a hospital in a room. And he's all with cast and machines. He saw him, he said, oh, what are you doing here? He said, do you think I really want to come here to see your face? I don't want to come here. I had no choice. My mother, Aleah Shalom, forced me. Three times she came to me in a dream to come visit you. Otherwise, I, would never, I didn't even know you in the hospital. And he said to him, it's very nice of you that you would come after I kicked you out of yeshiva to come just because your mother told you. 
very impressive, the Rebbe says to him. Especially after you came one day to the yeshiva and, uh, and I kicked you out again. I mean, he remembers what happened. And the boy said, why did you do this to me? It's one thing you kicked me out of the yeshiva, I went to different yeshiva. Now I come to invite my friends to, to a wedding, why you did not want them to come? He said to him, of course, if you would come normally, I would not care. But you have the nerve to come to my yeshiva with the white yamaka, like a reformy? You look like reformy? On purpose you come with a white yamaka? <coughs> I know why you did it. Because you don't even care, you have no respect for me. So he said to him, white yamaka? What are you talking about? I never in my life had a white yamaka. You see me now with a white yamaka? He said, no, maybe you changed it back to black. He said, no, I never had a white yamaka. The, the rabbi said to him, come on, I'm not blind. I saw you at the door with a white yamaka. Thinking. He said, oh, I know what happened. I was coming with a taxi. And the driver did not have air condition, so he opened the window. And my yamaka flew out in the highway in Yerushalayim, you have major highways. My yamaka fell on the highway, and I said, stop, stop, I need my yamaka. Stop on the side. And cars were driving on my yamaka with all the dirt, you know, the white thing, the, the, the dust, and made it white. That's what happened. But it was my old black yamaka. So he said to him, wow, so this whole thing was a whole big mistake. I thought on purpose you became reform and you come to me to show me. And I kicked you out, wow, it was all a mistake and my wife died and look at me. Please forgive me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what happened? They made peace. And that Rebbe, after that, when he got better, he accepted on himself to teach slow kids as to do tshuva for what happened for the rest of his life or whatever. He was teaching kids that cannot actually manage in yeshiva. That was one story. One time a person came to Rav Yashiv, he was a Rebbe in yeshiva. And he one time insulted one boy in yeshiva in front of everyone. After years, he met one of the boys from that, from that uh, year in yeshiva, and he asked him, what happened with all the kids? Tell me what's with them. So he got married, he got married, he lives in Antwerp, he lives in New York, he's, he's in Yerushalayim, they are in Bnei Brak, they are in Ponovich. And then they, they reached the student that he insulted. And what about him? He never got married. He's, he's a bum. He's all day at, war, at home. He doesn't work. He doesn't do anything with his life. He's very depressed. And I think it has a lot to do with you, the student said to the Rebbe. With me? Yes, remember how you insulted him in a class? After that, he became so depressed. That's it. He doesn't want to do anything with his life. For years, he lives in a room. That's what he does. Depressed all day. When he found out such thing, he ran quickly to the house of that boy. 
And begged him for mechila, please, I'm so sorry, you know, it was so stupid of me, what did I do? The key told him, I'm willing to forgive you in one condition. What is the condition? That you gather the entire class, bring them exactly how it was the same day, all of them to see it, and you apologize to me in front of everyone. That's the only way I will forgive you. He said to the boy, but it's not possible. One lives in Belgium, one lives in New York, one is here. People are working, people... How would I get all of them? I have to, I have to, they have to buy tickets, airlines. He said, I don't care. You want mechila? That's the only way. He came to Rav Eliashiv. Rav Eliashiv was Gdol Ador at that time. He said to Rav Eliashiv, I calculated how much money it would cost me to bring the entire class into the classroom. $17,000. For a Rebbe in Israel, he doesn't make it in a whole year. That's his annual salary. For, he has to pay people for the day off, for the flights to come, beg them to agree, to find a day that they all will agree. He calculated $17,000. He said to Rav Eliashiv, am I obligated to do it his way? To ask him for mechila? Or I just ask him mechila? You want to forgive? Fine. You don't want to forgive? Fine. Up to you. Rav Eliashiv said, I'm surprised you even asked me this question. What's the question? You want to lose your Ulam Abba for $17,000? You better do it right away gather everyone into that class and apologize in public. So Averot ben Adam lechavero, you have to apologize in public. You have to confess in public. I did such and such to Plony, I asked Mechila for Plony. If he doesn't care, he may tell you, no, don't worry, it's enough. You ask me, it's okay, I forgive you. Okay, you got lucky. But if he insists that you're going to do it the same way you heard him, you have a serious problem. But with us and Hashem, you don't have to reveal your sins. In Yom HaKippurim, when a Kohen Gadol comes out after he was maktir de ketoret in Kodesh HaKodashim, in front of the kaporet, he was saying a very short tefillah, annual tefillah, very, very short, a minute or two, that's it. וכך הייתה תפילתו, הוא עושה את הנמוסף וביום כיפור עושו. וכך הייתה תפילתו, יהי רצון מלפניך, השם אלוקינו ואלוקי אבותינו, שתהא שנה זו הבאה עלינו ועל כל עמך בית ישראל בכל מקום שהם. That is here, that come to us and to the nation of Israel, every place and place where they are, עם שכונה אם גשומה, if it's a year with no, with no rains, or if it's a year with a lot of rain, that the prayers of the people that walk on the roads when they pray about the rain will not be accepted because the world needs the rain. Let me explain. Today, Baruch Hashem, nobody prays to Hashem that He should not give rain in Israel. Why? There is rain, you have an umbrella. You are in a car, in a bus. You don't walk on the roads in the rain. You have a way to handle the rain. But in the old days, people walked for days. They walked. 
and there was nowhere to cover. You're in a desert, you're in a forest, it's pouring rain, and you have three days of work, and you pray, when you pray on the road, Shmona Yisrael, dear God, two more days don't give rain. So constantly people always pray for no rain, no rain. Hashem listens to every, every tefillah. So the Kohen Gadol needed to cancel all these tefillot. Why? Because the world needs rain. If it's not going to be rain, everybody will die. That the Jewish nation will not need each other to make a living. It's a little bit strange. Why not? Why can't we make business with each other? One person is a grocery, one person is a tailor, one person is a carpenter. It's very good. I buy from you, you buy from me. Who do you want us to make money from? From the, from the air? What is he praying for? שלא יצטרכו עמך בית ישראל בפרנסה זה לזה ולא לעם אחר and not to another nation even to the goyim I don't want customers, goyim, tourists, whatever very interesting today is the exact opposite everybody prayer that I'm going to do as much more business with my friends and, 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 and tourists שנה שלא תפיל אישה פרי בטנה a year that a woman will not have, God forbid, a miscarriage. No miscarriage. How many couples in the Jewish world today are barren? Do you know? How many? The answer, 15%. From every hundred couples, 15 of them cannot have kids. That's the bad news. That's a punishment that we get from Hashem, and it's written in Parashat Bechukotai, that the Priya Beten, if you listen to me, I will bless it. You're going to have non-stop children. And if not, I will close it. So 15% of the couples having problems to have kids. Baruch Hashem, the good news is that Hashem gave some kind of a remedy for that. Why? Treatments. They can do treatments, which they couldn't do until 20, 30 years ago. There's a lot of Pua, Shifra, all these organizations. A lot of uh, couples actually got children thanks to them. Thanks to them. It's very interesting, because I have one Syrian boy that I, Baruch Hashem, I think is my fastest Baal Tshuva. From all the 25 years, I sweat a lot on some of my baalich. So it was a matter of weeks and months of arguments and back and forth. This was, was the easiest. They told me, we would like you to come to speak in a learning group in Great Neck. One rich guy sponsored some food for the young boys. They're all in public school. They're not religious. I want you to come to the learning program. In those days, I used to give a lot of lectures in Great Neck. Like every two, three days, I was there. And there was, Baruch Hashem, a lot of people coming. A lot of those lectures are online. There was big homes, lots of people, 100, 200 people coming. It was an unbelievable time. So they told me, I want you to come to the learning program. I said, well, what's the Pshat learning program? He said, there, there are teachers, each one teach two or three guys. You're going to have your own table, and you're going to teach two or three guys. I said, I don't have time for this, for two or three guys. 
If you have a big uh, audience, then I'll come. He said, no, 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 it's important you come. One time come, then we will not ask you to come again. I said, okay, for one time, fine, i come for an hour, no problem. He said to me, I'm bringing a boy, Syrian boy, that is, went to public school. He doesn't know anything from his life. He does not religious. His parents are not religious. It's now or never. He agreed to come. He doesn't come for the learning program. He come just because I asked him to come speak to you. I want you to focus on him. Don't talk to anybody else, just him. I came over there. I sat down. Both of them walked in. I see a very, very nice looking boy. Really, really handsome, nice. Long hair. But much like the Gemara of this the good looking guy with the hair that he came to, to wash his face in the water. Much like that. Very rich kid from a rich family with a fancy sport car. Very young, 20 years old, does not know anything in religion. Nothing. He sits down, this sweet boy, but doesn't know anything from Torah. I begin to talk to him, I give him some background about the world, the creation, starts going step to step. Then I went to Shabbat. After 20, 30 minutes, I explained to him what does it mean to be Mchalel Shabbat. And the punishment, and the Olam and all this. This conversation from beginning to the end was 45 minutes, that's it. That's it. 45 minutes. By the 40th minute already, when he realized what does it mean to be chiloni, to be secular, to be mechalel Shabbat, to rebel against Hashem every minute of your life, not knowing anything, he started to cry, but such cry, wow, you never saw any the Chumash. I was talking to him, showing him Tzukim from the Chumash. Became all wet from his tears. He was crying and crying and crying, and he knew Hebrew. One of his parents is Israeli. And then he told me these words, There's a Rashani. I'm so wicked, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me these things. I said to him, you're not wicked, you just didn't know, now you will know what to do. Start coming to lectures, become religious, have a haircut, change your life. This guy became such a bad tshuva, oof, unbelievable. He even volunteered to post lecture, to spread lecture, he did a lot of great things. He had such good midot. I always say people with good heart is much easier to make them religious that they're naturally nice people. So what happened? Baruch Hashem, after two, three years, or maybe three or four years, after he became Baal Shuvah, I get an invitation that he's getting married. Syrian girl, religious, religious wedding, separate boys, girls, Baruch Hashem, kosher wedding. I said, I must go. I went to the wedding, they met kosher wedding, Men, women, separate, a call 100% the way it should be. And what happened? They got married. Five years, they cannot have kids. I say to myself, such a story should have a happy end. It cannot be like this. It's like a seor shebaisa. Baal tshuva, baalat tshuva, kosher wedding. 
you know, has to be, oh, the one thing I forgot, one time when he came to me for Shabbat, he said to me, you know, my father is Syrian, but my mother Ashkenazi. I said, interesting. So my mother, when she was a girl, she was religious. She was from a Vishnitz family, Hasida. As a matter of fact, my grandfather lived next to the Rebbe from Vishnitz here in Monsi. I say to him, now you're going to your grandfather. You go over there, he said, I don't know exactly which door. I said, don't worry, the Hasidim knows everything about each other. <laughs> you just say the name, 500 people tell you where his house, don't worry. He said, what am I going to do? He never saw me since I was a baby, a kid. I said to him, you knock on his door, say, Zaydi, I'm your grandson. Tell him, don't walk. Oh, he said, why he didn't see him? Because his mother became not religious. And they are very, very serious religious Hasidim. So they, they had no contact. So therefore, the grandfather doesn't know that much about his grandson, besides the fact that he's secular. I say, I promise you, he's going to be so happy. What grandfather doesn't want to know that his grandson became religious? It's going to be the happiest day of his life. So he went. I said, how was it? He said, wow, he almost fainted. It was shocking. A few days later, I see two Hasidim knocking on my door. Old and young. He came with his son to my house. I thought they come to collect Sdaka. <laughs> I said, hi. How can I help you? He grabbed my hand, started to bless me in Yiddish. Now, one word I understood. <laughs> the son was translating. That's when I re it took me a few seconds to realize why he's blessing me like this at the door. <laughs> he was the grandfather. So now they don't, they don't have kids. Five years. Try everything. They went to doctor, specialist, street, nothing. I say to him, I know one rule in the Torah. Everybody should listen to this. Everything Hashem does, mamash, it's like a machine. You know a machine, you always know what's going to happen when you press the button. Everything Hashem does is midah keneged midah. Measure for measure. For good and for bad. When you get punished, check why this punishment. I've done something in this field. When you get this kind of reward, the Gemara said there was one tzaddik, his name was Nechunia Chofer Shichin. There was a man named Nechunia. What was he doing? Voluntarily, he takes a shovel and he digs holes in the ground. And you know, the deeper you go, there's water coming out. Why you need, it wasn't like today, you have a, a fast faucets everywhere, everywhere you go, you press a button, water comes out, you have under the ground pipes, it was a different world. How people would get water? Either you have to go to a lake, or collect rainwater, or make a huge hole in the ground, and water starting to come out, and you use the water, you give it to your donkey, to your animals, they drink. So what happened? You know, today when you tell an American kid, why are you buying bottles all the time, wasting money on water? Drink from the faucet. Ugh! Ma? I'm not drinking from the faucet. Listen, I'm not spending $100 a month on water for you. Drink from the faucet. You won't agree. This is by poor family, needless to say by the wealthy family. People install $5,000 filter. 
Japanese magnesium filter. Rabbi, you never tasted water like this in your life. One person gave it to me a gift. Gave me this machine. Cleans the water from acid, alkaline, all these tricks. Imagine if these kids will have to live in those days that you have to dig holes in the ground and water comes full of sand. You have to take a piece of uh, material and screen the water. And the water still looks like this coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I needed an excuse to get there. So the water looks mud. I had a chevruta in yeshiva many years ago. He went on a trip to India when he was young. He told me, Ugh, such a torture, this India. I said, why? You can't even find water there. You cannot drink water there. He said, the water comes out of the faucet brown with sand. There's no, it's not like, a, like here, the water comes clear. So he said, you must buy bottles. You have no choice. Okay, India, but here it's not India. Nechunia Hofer Shikhin, they come to him one time, was learning, they say, your daughter fell in a hole in some kind of a well, very deep in the ground. We don't know what to do. So the Gemara gives the whole story. He said, one hour, she came up already? No. Second hour, she came up already? No. Don't worry, everything will be fine. By the third hour, they saved her. It was very hard because it was very narrow. They didn't know how to, how to go down to pick her up. So they told him, I don't get it. A person's daughter fall into a big hole in the ground. Who knows, maybe the snake's there, maybe the scorpion's there, maybe there's no air. And you learn, uh, as usual, like nothing happened? He said, I wasn't worried at all for her life. Why? Because all my life, I dig wells for the people that come to Jerusalem, to Bet HaMikdash, that they should have convenience and they have water, that they don't have excuses not to come to Jerusalem. Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, they know Nechunia already took care of water for us. It's impossible that in the mitzvah that I do the best, and that mitzvah Hashem will kill my daughter. Impossible. That's why I wasn't worried. If you tell me my daughter climb on a tree and she's about to fall, I would be very worried. Yes. Aval, if she fell in a hole, I was very relaxed. I said, wall, I have special protection. Why? Everything Hashem does, midah keneged midah. So this Syrian boy, he said to me, I don't know what to do. Five years, no kids. I said to him, I know everything by Hashem is midah keneged midah. I'll give you an advice. What? Make a monthly donation to my organization. Anything you can afford. Doesn't matter. The amount is not really not, doesn't matter. Whatever you can afford. And you say to Hashem, I am participating in saving your own children. If you save Hashem lost children, Hashem has to benefit your children. Midah ke neged midah. And in order for him to benefit your children, he must give you children first. So you will have children. We don't know for sure, only Hashem has his calculation. We don't know what's your Gilgulim. But if the chance was 10%, it went up now to 50, 60. That's already better. 
So you think so? I said, that's what the Torah says. We go by what's written. I said, okay, no problem. This was in September, last September. A month ago he came, Benji, you saw him? You saw him also, right? He came into the shoe. He came by when I finished the lecture in Brooklyn. He walked in with a big smile, gave me a big hug. Rabbi, it worked. Baruch Hashem. That was Mamash when he started to do these donations, right after Hashem gave him right away. His wife is pregnant. Soon she's going to give, going to deliver a baby, Bezrat Hashem, and it's going to be a perfect ending to this story. Why? Mida, can I get Mida? So now over here, a year that no women will have miscarriage. Miscarriage, Chaz Shalom, can happen also to righteous people, not only Rishayim. Rav Ben Zion, Abba Shaul, was the biggest tzaddik on earth, the biggest mekubal, holy, genius, sharp, like a knife. But his wife had 12 miscarriages. Only one kid was born to him. Rav Eliyahu Abba Shaul. Ben Yachid. Every delivery fell, every pregnancy. And he always, always was happy. You never saw him sad. The students say his happiness, his light in his face with all the suffering he had was incredible. Not only that, every time he saw someone with a sad face, he ran to him immediately. Lama Tatsuv? Kol Beseder? Hey, Rabbi, I have this. One student told him, I don't have money to pay the thing. He took out all the money that he had, he gave it to him. He said, here, pay the whole rent. He himself was a rabbi. It's a big amount. He said to him, no, 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 I can't take from the rabbi. I didn't tell you that I'm in problem for you to pay my rent. But this is the way it was. Why? So they came like this, they understand. So, a year that no woman will have a miscarriage, the, 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 the trees will give their fruits, and the people that are supposed to govern us, the governors from the tribe of Yehuda, right? From Sheloy Asur Osem Emshala Migeza Yehuda. What do we, we have a problem with this tefillah. It appears in... Uh, Masechet Yoma, page 57. What does it mean that the Jews will not need each other for Parnassah? That's a blessing or a curse? If I did not know this Gemara, and you come to me ten years ago and tell me it's, not, it's so bad that Jews need to make Parnassah from each other, I would say to you, what are you talking about? It's the best thing that can happen. I wish that all my customers would be my brothers and sisters from the community. Why, why, why not? So, but the Gemara disagrees. Rav Galinsky asks, is it possible that a person will not need a Jewish baker? Where are you going to buy kosher milk? Where are you going to buy kosher chalas? Who is going to tailor your tzitzit, your this? You, you definitely have to deal with Jews. Who is going to sell you tefillin? Who is going to sell you mezuzot? Who is going to circumcise your baby? Who is going to be your doctor? It has to be Jews in a community. 
כל המסחר, the entire history, Jews needed each other. ולומדי התורה בייחוד, and the Torah scholars even more, as it's written that הקדוש ברוך הוא created all these things to take care of the לומדי תורה, מלאכת צדיקים נעשית בידי אחרים. The needs of the righteous people is done by the others. The big Chachamim would always find someone that will contribute to what they need. Just like the Balabai told me about your, his uncle uh, Safdi Alava Shalom. He went to build a building for Avovadi Yosef. He had big schut. Why? Because the Chachamim what Rav Ovadia is going to go to work 30 years to, to save money to buy a building? Hashem gets him a tzaddik. He comes, he gives the money. He also sponsors Or Lezion, Tzavdiye, and some other buildings in Yerushalayim. This is schut. This is something you take with you to Olam Abba. Everything you spend in Olam Azeh stays here. You don't take it with you. Clothing, cars, this, mansions, vacation, all goes to the garbage. What you invest in Torah and mitzvot, you goes with you to Olam Abba. You should know the rule. It's the only thing you take with you. And I will continue to produce fruit for you forever and ever. Every Rosh Hashanah Hashem will do the calculation. You build a building, let's see how much Torah was in this building this year. Mr. Safdiye, you get now another 500 trillion mitzvot. Why? From Rosh Hashanah until Rosh Hashanah. 500 trillion mitzvot. We have a problem with this tefillah of the Kohen Gadol because the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol contradicts the tefillah of David HaMelech. King David was hundreds of years before the Kohen Gadol, right? In Bet HaMikdash. And David HaMelech say, Lechu v'itparnesu ze mize. It's Gemara Masechet Brachot, page 3. He said to the Jews, make sure to make a living from each other. The Kohen Gadol said to Hashem, Help us that this year we will not need to make living from each other and not from the Goim. The Prophet Yeshaya in page 61, Prophet Yeshaya said, Prophet Yeshaya said, Ve'amdu zarim ve'ra'u tzonchem uv'nei nechar Ikarechem vekarmechem. Translation, this is uh, the Gemara in, in page Brachot uh, 35, the Gemara speaks about it. Ubebirkat Yitzchak avinu leYaakov, yavdu chaamim, Yitzchak bless Yaakov, that the nation should serve you. Vishtachavu lecha leumim, nations will bow down to you. Meaning that the Goim will serve and respect the Jewish people. That's the blessing of Yitzchak to Yaakov Avinu. In a future to come, kings that will not respect those who will curse you, I automatically curse them. 
those who would bless you automatically are blessed. That's, by the way, the reason America was always friends of Israel. Because America is full of Christian people, more than 50 million evangelists. They all go to churches every Sunday, they're very strict in the religion. If you can call it religion. Because it's all based on a fake book, but regardless. So they follow the New Testament, but they also follow the Old Testament. And in the Torah it's written that everyone who will be good to the Jews will be automatically blessed. And everyone will be against the Jews will be automatically cursed. There are a few videos on YouTube that every time the American president did something against Israel, a massive tragedy came to America. Like New Orleans flood and hurricanes. Mamash unbelievable. Shortly after they took the sides of the Arabs against Israel, boom, Katrina. Another thing, boom, New Orleans floods. Unbelievable video that a Christian, religious Christian guy did. And now, some of them say to Biden, you are a president for one month, shame on you, you did not call the Prime Minister of Israel yet. You call all kinds of anonymous people that nobody knows who they are. You didn't find the time to call the, the biggest ally of, of the United States, Israel. You better shape up and wake up because if you won't do it and you're going to continue with your lines to go against Israel, God will punish us once again. Because those who bless Israel are blessed and those who curse Israel are cursed. Someone sent me that video a few days ago. They know. Those who read the Torah, even the Goim, they know. I'm surprised the Arabs, for whatever reason, they read the Torah they do not deny that the Jews got the Torah in Mount Sinai. Every Arab knows it. You ask an Arab, what's your name? Ibrahim. What's your name? Yusuf. What's your name? Ismail. Where all these names came from? It's all from the Torah. It's names in the Torah. So the Arabs understand the Torah is the book of Hashem. They know they, know they came from Ishmael, from the Torah. One time an Arab told me, but you, the Jews, are big liars. <laughs> Why? Why we are liars? Because you modified the Torah. In the Torah, it was really said that Abraham took Ishmael to the Akedah. But you changed Ishmael to Yitzchak. It's written that Ishmael was the special boy, not Yitzchak. You changed it. Beitzchak ikare lechazera, it should have been Ishmael. What would you answer this Arab genius? How you prove him in a minute that is the dumbest thing walk on to on earth? How, in, how in, a, in a minute you prove it to him? How? Very simple. How many sifret Torah you have in the world? Spread. Tens of thousands, maybe even more than a hundred thousand Sifre Torah. Every synagogue, five, six, here the Syrian synagogues, each one of them has more than a hundred in a basement. I don't know what to do with that every week. Ladies and gentlemen, this Sunday, Achnasat Sefer Torah. Well, uh, where are we going to put it? The building is all Sifre Torah. There's more Sifre Torah than Mitpalelim. <laughs> every person come, today I don't know which Sefer Torah I will use, this or this. 
everyone has two sifre Torah, like Bnei Israel, they had more malachim than Bnei Israel, crowns, the malachim. There's too many sifre Torah in the world. Every shul in the world you go, three, four, six, ten, nine. So there's many, probably a hundred thousand sifre Torah at least. And they are not written in this generation, some of them hundred years ago, two hundred, five hundred years ago. I said to the Arab, let's make a deal. Go all over the world, take any Sefer Torah you want from any place you want and any country you want. If you will find another version of the Torah anywhere else, you won. <laughs> what do you think? That one day the Jews decided to take the Torah and change. First of all, the Torah said that someone that will do such thing, what punishment you get if you modify the Torah? Death penalty. Somebody add to the Torah or delete from the Torah, death penalty. Okay. But let's say there was a Jew, Rasha, that decided to change the Torah. Let's say he lived in Brazil. If he changed the Torah in Brazil, there was no telephone, no internet, no communication. Jews lived in different parts of the world and there's Sifre Torah everywhere. How all of a sudden all the Jewish people all over the world found out in the same day they all, they all have to come to the Torah and change the same thing? <laughs> you had to see his face. Abdallah, what do you have to say? Like they say in Israel, Barachi Mazanav Ben Araglain. He ran away with the tail in between his legs. Why? To be a liar, you have to be smart. If you're stupid, it takes a minute to find out your lies. When my mother-in-law still used to work, she was working in marketing. So she had to bring people to a panel. I don't know if the company still do it. Let's say Coca-Cola wants to make a new can now with a new design. It was red. They want to change it to black and white. What do you think? They just decide like this and they change it? They can lose a billion dollars because of it. Because people follow the eyes. Maybe the color they don't like, they won't pick it up. It can affect them that they can lose a billion dollars this year. Or they can make extra billion. It's a big decision. It's not like you, you're going to wear a burgundy sweater today or light blue. Big deal. They, before they make this decision, they want to check the opinion of the public. So they need black people, they need Jews, they need Americans, they need Christian conservative, they need male, women, female, old, young. They give them a list of what kind of people they want to come to the panel. Liberal. Liberals, conservative, reform. They need all those kinds of people. Why do they need them? Because they want to see, they make like a survey. Maybe all the black people would like the new can, but all the white will hate it. Or the other way around. Maybe the old people would like it, and all the young would not like it. So they ask a lot of questions, and they give you food. What's your reward? You get $50. This was over 20 years ago. You, get, you come to Manhattan, to an office, you get $50 and a big meal. You know, like being burgers, whatever they bring, catering. Some people, it's good for them, $50 and a big meal. Why not? Two hours of my time. Okay, so they go. So one time there was a, a black guy and a black girl, brother and sister. 
she had a list of people that interested to go to the panel. So if they confirm, she gets paid for how many people she sent. So she called she call them to confirm. You know, today too, you have to be in this Lexington Avenue, this, that. Yes, yes, yes. She confirmed. The, the girl showed up and the brother did not show up. Every time someone does not show up, first, she doesn't get paid. Second, it wounds her reputation. You don't have reliable people. So she called up the guy the next day and she said to him, Hey, George, how are you? How come you did not show up to yesterday panel? Oh, my grandma died. So she says, so how come your sister was there? <laughs> <laughs> to lie, you have to have a little brain. This guy, apparently his brain was full of air. So, by the way, uh, if you want to catch a liar, there are a few tricks. What best way is uh, body language. You have to learn good body language. You know right away who says the truth, who's not. Okay. You learn a lot of other things about people from body language. But if you don't know body language, you ask them a story with all the details and you memorize the detail. When they leave, you write it down. And then you wait two weeks and ask them again. And then you compare the details of the story to the old story. And you will see how many contradictions it has. Why? Because liars don't remember the lie they told two weeks ago. They don't remember. So that's how you know if the story is real or not. Sometimes we rely on a testimony of a goy. How come? It's not Shomer Shabbat. A Jew that is not Shomer Shabbat, you're not allowed to rely on his testimony. Why? Because he's like a non-Jew. Chalel Shabbat, areu kegoy lechol davar. So if a Jew that is not Shomer Shabbat counts like a goy, that you cannot receive any testimony from him in court, needless to say, a non-Jew, right? Because he is excluded because he behaves like a goy. He's not Shomer Shabbat. A goy is needless to say. No. But sometimes if a guy says something, you accept his testimony. Yafeh. When is it? It's called Masiach Lefitumo. When the guy doesn't know the laws, he doesn't know all the details, it's tell, you hear him telling a story to someone. We went over there, and the, the rabbi told me to go and get across the street to buy this, to buy that, and we get, he doesn't know now why the rabbi did it. So he's telling a story, and through the story, you just learn that all the meat in that restaurant is not kosher anymore. When you come to the owner of the restaurant, we have to shut your kashrut. Why? The guy, Abdallah, say that you used the knife from there, and you bought from there, and you mixed it here, and whatever you did. Since when you count on Abdallah to testify in a bed din? Abdallah did not need to testify. He told someone a story and from the detail we got what happened. But what happened if you call him and ask him the questions directly? He's not reliable. Because now he knows you're going to use his information to do something. He may change the details. But if you heard him talking on the phone to someone, he doesn't know. So based on that testimony, you can decide kosher or not kosher. You got it? Okay. The question now, 
so we have we have uh, all the people in the world in Rosh Hashanah, they walk in front of Hashem like sheep. Everyone will be judged, Kibne Maron. When your turn comes, you say, oh, Baruch Hashem, I did tshuva. I did tshuva. I have, Baruch Hashem, a lot of mitzvot. Hashem say to you, okay, what would you like? Imagine you're the court, in the court of heaven. What would you like? I would like a good ear. What would I like? You're going to determine my ear to come now, no? I would like a good ear. Hashem would say, what do you mean by saying a good ear? There's many definitions to good ear. Making money, going on a trip, being accepted to, to yeshiva, getting married, having children, getting cured. What do you mean a good ear? It could be millions of things. I would answer, Pshuto kemashmao, everything. I want the whole nine yard, the whole package. You know, you call sometimes the phone line, do you want this, do you want that? You can have an iPad with this, with that. You can get, you know, when you lease a car, sunroof, this one, that system, this system, 10 more dollars, 20 dollars, 30 more. Give me the whole thing. I want a perfect ear. Tapuach bedvash. An apple, dip the apple in the honey. That's what I want. Then Hashem would say, and you are perfect? That you want a perfect ear? Oh, that's a problem. I did not expect such a question. Well, to tell you Hashem, you know I don't have a verot. I don't make scenes. I keep mitzvot, but can I say that my mitzvot are perfect? It will be a little bit exaggerating. They're not so perfect. Can I say that I daven with all my heart and my intention? It would be a little bit, you know, too much. Can I say I learn Torah with devotion and love for the Torah the way you expect? Probably not. Am I taking advantage on the time fully? The life that you gave me with quantity and quality? No. So I have one answer. I'm not such a great bargain. But there are people worse than me. That's my argument. Yes, I'm far from being perfect. But there's so many people worse than me. Is that a good, legit argument in the court of heaven or no? It's similar to here you drive on the Garden State Parkway 80 miles an hour. You're allowed 65. The car pulls you over. So what? Look, five cars in front of me were driving 100. Look, look, stand, look around. Everybody here drive faster than me. Why you pulled me over? The cop will say, listen, don't waste my time. Driver license and registration gives you $200, $300, fine, points. That's the end of you. When you make a claim in court, everybody drove the same. Why did he get me out of a thousand cars that drove at the same minute there? 
That's not a legitimate claim. This claim will hold in a court of heaven or no? Avinu Ava Rahman, accept your answer. How do we know it? The Ariya Kadosh 500 years ago, he said to his student Rabbi Chaim Vital, what did he say? He said, I want you to know that one small mitzvah in this generation counts like a huge mitzvah in the time of the Gemara. Why? Because the world is so much more impure than what it was. That means the more dirty the world is, the harder it is to be tzaddik. That's why Noah became a legend. Noah was nothing special compared to Avraham Avinu or compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. But because he lived with so many wicked people, then Noah became Ish Tzaddik Bedorotav, meaning he was able to stay Tzaddik when everyone around him was wicked. Oh, then, then it's needless to say, if 500 years ago a mitzvah was much bigger because uh, 2,000 years ago it was much easier to do it, then 500 years later now the world is a thousand times worse than what it was, it's much, 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 much harder. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I hear you, like they say in America, I hear you, and he gives you a good ear. Tapuach bedvash. Now comes the next one on the line, the next Jew. Now it was Ruven, now Shimon comes in. What would you like? A good ear. Perfect. And you are perfect? No, but they are much worse than me. He learned from the one before. Emet, you're right, they are worse than you. So everybody wants a perfect ear, even those who are worse and worse and worse, they all say there's somebody worse, somebody worse, somebody worse. So it looks like almost everyone will get away. This is of course a mashal, okay? Don't 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 understand it literally. Don't get too excited. Now the Kohen Gadol is asking Ribonoshal Olam. We want to accept a perfect ear. Why? Thanks to the fact that we're all going to be perfect. That's really the tefillah. We want a perfect ear because we would like to deserve a perfect ear. Not because there are others that are worse than us. Yes, you will give it to us anyway in the end because compared to the goyim, we are much better than them. We do not want you to like us because we're not as bad as these idol worshippers and all the other criminals out there. We would like you to give us a perfect ear because we are perfect. Not because when you put a, a, a very dirty rug and the next one is even dirtier, so you say, oh, this one is great. Why? Because this one is dirtier. Not because of that. What's the secret here? Now you will know it on Yom Kippur. Nobody knew it. That nobody will need to say, Hashem is worse than me. That people want to save themselves by putting the other one down. Look, he's worse than me. Why are you blaming me? He's much worse. Okay, you can go. What's with you? He's worse. Okay, you can go. What's with you? He's worse. In the end, someone will be left. 
<laughs> what, what is he going to say? Who's worse? So we don't want to get saved by putting other Jews down, say, yes, I'm not perfect, but they are worse than me. That's not a perfect way to be saved. And we don't want to be saved by saying the Goim are worse than us. Look at them. Look how they behave. Look at the riots. Look what's happening here. We're not doing things like this. We're not blowing up people. We're not going into a place with a bomb on our head and blow up children. We are Jewish. We're not doing things like this. We want to be able to say to Hashem, regardless of the Goyim, regardless of the wicked Jews, regardless of all of them, we want a perfect year because we earned it. It's a whole different league. I went one time to Rav Shach. This is the story of Rav Galinsky. This Mishamayim Kivnuti to bring Rav Galinsky who put you in yeshiva, you see? No There's no coincidence. It's all Ashgacha. Should I tell them the story or no? When you were how old? 27. 27. It's the first story I heard when I walked in today, before all of you showed up. He was, uh, he debated if to stay in yeshiva or to go to work. That's a, that's a debate that almost every young man has. Should I go into business or should I go to learn and dedicate my life to Torah? It's a big dilemma. I hear at least 10 times a week people consult with me just about this question. At least 10, sometimes more. So, Rav Yaakov Galinsky happened to be there and he said to him, come, come, let's learn a page Gemara together. Which page? The last page in Masechet Kiddushin. All the Chachamim say that a person should teach his son Melacha. He should teach him to swim, he should teach him to, to make a living. You know, one of the Chachamim there come and say, Rabbi Meiri was, I, I don't understand why we, why we have to work. I don't get it. Why? Those animals were all created to serve me. I'm the human being, the Jew. Cow serves me, the sheep serves me, everything serves me. I use their skin, I use the, I use the milk, I use the meat. They all serve me. The dog watch the sheep. All animals, we use them. They all were created for the purpose of being a benefit to me, the human being. And they don't have to work and to go to college and to get a degree, meaning they don't have to work and Hashem takes care of all their food, whatever they need. I, that was created to serve my creator. Isn't it needless to say that he's going to take care of me? Conclusion, I don't have to work. I don't have to waste time on it. Now I know what you're thinking. Beautiful speech, Rabbi. There's always a but in America. You know, when someone begins to compliment you, you already know, soon I'm going to get the punch. Listen, I want you to know, Rabbi, I listened to you for years and, uh, and you're really great. You inspire me and my wife greatly. I mean, I changed my entire life. We even moved to a place of Torah thanks to you. We called our children this and this and that and we followed that and we did that. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. And I say, but my heart is pounding. But... 
we really, really got lately very disappointed of you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you are pro-vaccine? Shame on you. You encourage people to get vaccines? Didn't you see on YouTube what the experts say? So they replace me with some idiots on YouTube who make up fake videos every minute. Millions of fake videos. 5G will fry your head. The 5G is designed that when they give you the vaccine, there's a chip in the vaccine. The 5G will activate the vaccine and they will sit over there in under the ground and on, they will see on the screen where you are and they can, if you're going to do something, they press a button that you won't be able to move because they control our life and wow, you don't know, you already have a chip under your skin and uh, the government knows everything you are. So there's one Israeli comedian, if you see this two minutes comedy, five minutes video that he made, you'll be on the floor laughing for a week. I just could not stop laughing. He said, I have a neighbor in my neighborhood. He's 94 years old. And he imitates them amazing. One guy is Moroccan, one guy is Romanian. The great, he great imitates them in such a way you cannot stop laughing. And he said this, imagine this old man, 94, Romanian, all day in the neighborhood. What does he do? There's nothing. He said to him, be careful not to get the vaccine. It damaged the fertility. I'm not getting it. <laughs> what do you care about fertility in 94? This is how people talk. Then one guy, 40 years, is unemployed. Sitting all day, drinking coffee. Play shesh-besh. He has this masbacha, you know, like the Arabs have with the, with the, with the, the round, the, what do you call them? Huh? Beads? Yeah, all day, play Sheshbe. You know these people sit in, in Israel, in a market, or Yoshvei Kranot. So he's already 40 years play Sheshbe in the neighborhood. He said to him, listen, be careful, don't make the vaccine, why? The government, they want to follow us. They are following us now, be careful. I said to him, exactly, why do you think Netanyahu cares so much where you are? <laughs> Who are you exactly? All day sitting and playing, they have to follow us. To Yoda they speak, excuse my language, but they have to be either super stupid or super naive. One of the two. Some people are just naive, they believe everything. Petty, amin, lechol davar. Just a few years ago, one of the people that make all these conspiracy theories in Israel, he's, he used to be here and he said, everybody must run away from America to Israel right away before Purim. Why? There is a star, Nivero. He's on the way to eat Earth. He's going to eat New York. If it will miss New York, there will be so much debris that it will cause tsunami and Manhattan will be flooded and we're all going to die. You must run away for your life. Don't you see there are two stars? Believe me, convince a lot of fools. <laughs> there was one guy, one of my ballet chuva, that in the meantime became a serious learner. He's learning for years in yeshiva. Not a fool. He said to me, tomorrow morning I have a flight to Israel. I said, no, tomorrow afternoon. I said to him, tomorrow is Purim. 
How you live in Purim? He said, that's the earliest flight I got. I said, but who wants to fly in Purim? We are all sitting, dancing, uh, drinking, getting drunk. Why you want to fly in Purim? Why I'm afraid to miss the train? Maybe the Nivero star will eat us by the evening. I don't want to be here when it happens. So he went to the airport. <laughs> Believe it or not. That's how people react when they're naive like this. He went to JFK. Then I see he showed up again in Monsi at night. The flight took off. He came back to Monsi. I said to him, what happened? You're here. You're supposed to fly, no? He said to me, they kicked me out of the flight. I was already sitting in a plane. The goim over there complained that I smell like alcohol. Because he finished a few bottles of wine. It was pouring. <laughs> Smells like drunk. So they, they were afraid. So they say, sir, <laughs> you have to come out of, with us. So he had to be in, in Monsi in Purim. When Kochav Nivero will come, you'll be the first one, he will hit your head. But the question that I had, this guy moved to Israel. He ran away because of Kochav Nivero. He left the sun here. He had to come back a few times here. Whatever, based on that fake news that he heard. The question that I had is, after they told you Kochav Nivero will hit in, on Purim, and you were here on Purim, and nothing happened, why didn't you cancel the flight? You got it? That's called fake news, conspiracy theories. That's what they feed people on the internet all day. Solution, don't listen to internet. Don't have WhatsApp. Don't have YouTube. Don't have smartphone. Your life will be free. You're not going to hear all this garbage. Your head will be clear to learn the right things. You're going to be there. All this nonsense going to your head. And there's no more Torah coming out of there. Only Shtuyot. It happens to one speaker. He used to be very good. He used to speak strong, Musar. For a few good years. And all of a sudden, six months of garbage. Illuminati. 5G. The government wants to kill us. Bill Gates wants to murder 8 billion people. That's all he talks about. Six months. What are you going to do? What happened to the Torah? It's supposed to teach Torah. What are you teaching all this shtuyot? Please don't be fooled by this nonsense. From now on, when you have a dilemma or a question what to do, ask a very big rabbi. Rabbis are not supposed to be stupid. Not every beep on the street, immediately they run to believe. Tell him, Rabbi, what should I do? You get your answer, and that's it. Now, now, we didn't finish yet, this mashal. I went to Rav Shach, and I asked him, Rabbi Yaakov, he asked me, Rabbi Yaakov, Galinsky, Rabbi Yaakov, did you make Birkot HaShachar this morning? Of course. What Jew doesn't make Birkot HaShachar, religious Jew? What's the question, Rabbi? I already know if Rav Shach asked me, did you make Birkot HaShachar, he's about to give me a Dvar Torah about Birkot HaShachar. What's the question, Kvod Arav? What did you think when you say Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy? 
Thank you, God, for making me Jewish, that you didn't make me a Gentile. What did you think about this? When we say Berkot HaShachar, a lot of people do not understand the meaning of the blessing. Why do we have to bless Hashem for not making us a Goy, for not making us a servant, and for not making us a woman? Goy, you don't ask too much questions, because the Goyim in those days were all idol worshippers, bowing down to idols and stuff. Thank God that I was not born one of them that bowed down to the cow. Okay, so we got it. Servant, who wants to be a slave? Thank you, God, for not making me a slave. Okay. But why thank you, God, for not making me a woman? That's a big insult. Especially when the Chachamim who wrote Birkot HaShachar, they were very good to their wives, respected them very much. The Gemara is full of an obligation to respect the wife, to buy her gifts. They are, wis they are wiser than us. Uh, if your wife will cry, your parnasa will be damaged. So many things were written about women. Kotomar lebet Yaakov et aged lebet Yaakov. Bet Yaakov comes before Bnei Israel. Bet Yaakov is the women. That's why they call the yeshiva Bet Yaakov of the girls. Why the girls come before the boys? Because the future of the Jewish nation is in the hand of the women. That's what Hashem decided. How your daughter would look is based on who you are. How your sons will be depends on who their mother is. The father is influenced the children a lot less than the mothers. should know that. The mother influences the kids a lot more. Why? She's with them most of the time. Most of the time. So the answer is, Rabotai, and time is running out. The answer is, we are not we are not telling Hashem that goyim are bad, servants are bad, or women are bad. That's not what it means. What's the most important gift that a person can get from in this world? To be a Talmud Chacham. To learn a lot of Torah, because Torah, every letter that comes out of your mouth, is a, it's a separate mitzvah. Every letter. You're sitting here now for an hour, an hour and a half. You already made more than 60,000 mitzvot. Every letter came out of my mouth. Letter, not word. It's a separate mitzvah. Every letter. Fantastic. Hearing Torah and gaining profit. So a man is obligated to learn Torah. That's what they do. They sit all day and learn Torah. Women have to raise children, get them dressed, change diaper, go shopping, cook, do things in the house, take care of the animals in those days, chickens, uh, donkey, horses, cows. It's a full-time job. That's what the women work very hard. Go get water from the, from the well or from the lake. Life was primitive. She didn't have five chadames now taking care of all business. It was a different life. So, we are not telling Hashem, thank you for not making me a woman because a woman is not important. The Torah said the opposite, they're more important than you. We only thank Hashem by the right order. From the Goy, slave, and a woman, who learns less Torah out of those three? Goy. So the first thing we say, thank you God for not making me a Goy, because Goy barely learns any Torah. I have only seven mitzvot, that's it. Next, 
who is the next one after the Goy that doesn't learn enough Torah, but he learns more than the Goy? Eved, Eved Knani. As soon as you take a Goy to become a slave, he comes and he sells himself. I want to be your servant. In the old days, slavery was very common all over the world. I want to be a slave. So, no problem. You want to be my slave? The first thing you have to do is to convert. When you convert a man, a goy, and he becomes a Jew, and he comes in order to become your slave or servant, he has all the obligations of a woman. All the obligations of the woman, meaning mitzvot haseh shazman grama is not obligated. He cannot be obligated to keep mitzvot that connects to time. So that's why you say, Shelo asani goy, Shelo asani aved. Now a woman, Shelo asani isha. But a man, a man, even though is a Jew, is equal to woman, but a little bit less, because the women have few mitzvot he doesn't have. So she's a little bit above him. What comes the next, uh, next bracha? Thank you for not making me a woman. Why woman is the third in the list? Because after all, they have to learn a lot of Torah, the women. Not like the men. Now, since there's a lot of ladies here, who can tell me what's the obligation of a Jewish woman when it comes to learning Torah? What parts of the Torah in Judaism a woman must learn? I can give you a hint. If a woman would like to fulfill her obligation when it comes to learning Torah, she would have to learn between 10 and 20 years full-time Torah. Depends how smart she is. If she's very sharp and smart, all their tests are hundreds, 10 years. If she's not exactly so bright, 20 years. Now let's see what a woman has to learn according to Hashem's will. First, she has to know all the laws of Shabbat. Just this will take years. All the laws, Muktzeh, this, to tell the Goy, not to tell the Goy. Will take years. She has to learn all the blessing. Blessing for this, blessing for that. Bracha Rishona, Bracha Achrona. One ounce, two ounces. In four minutes, six minutes. It's a lot of halachot. Why she eats every day. Right? She eats. She needs to know what brachot to say. Not to say brachot levatala. A woman that makes the, say the name of Hashem in vain is the same sin, like a man. So she has to learn all the laws of brachot. That will take months. She has to learn all the laws of nidaz. Nida, mikveh, this, that. Right there, a few weeks. She has to learn how to raise children. How to raise children. How to talk to them. How to teach them how to teach them to daven, teilim, how to get dressed, how to be their psychologist. Right there, she needs a few more months of reading a lot of books. She, she needs to learn all the Jewish holidays, all the halachot, difference between Shabbat, Yom Tov, ha, yes. She needs to learn how to cook, how to check the broccoli, the, the, the celery, the lettuce for worms, to clean, how, you know, what happened is by mistake, milk fell into the meat, this, all these laws, the oven, the oven is kosher, not kosher. She can call 15 times a day to the rabbi, Racham, sorry again, something this happened, someone did this, all day, she, 
She needs to know these things. So bottom line, now she needs to learn Musar. She needs to learn how to become a better human being. She needs to learn a lot of things. After you go through all the things that a woman needs to learn, 10 to 20 years, she needs to know all the Chumash, all the Parashot HaShavua, Ma, she has children, the little kids come from school, they ask him, Esav was hairy, was Esav this, was Esav that, who is Esav? <laughs> Ma, you don't know? It's a little bit embarrassing. So she needs to know, so she has to learn all the, all the parashat HaShavua, that's right there a few years, to learn every parasha with Rashi, it's going to take a whole year at least. So after all the learning, trust me when I tell you, it will be years. How many women here that are religious learn at least 10 years to know everything she needs to do? We have a big problem. A person can live all his life, not only doesn't know anything from halachot, and he makes thousands of mistakes every month, he doesn't even know how to daven. I have a team of uh, assistants in Israel. Everyone is in charge of something. We have a commando team. One guy is driving and filming. One guy is taking care of special missions. Everybody, some people on the videos, some people on the Facebook pages, one guy on a YouTube channel. Everybody has a job. So I have one guy, he is my man for special missions. I need him to go to speak to this rabbi, to go to that, to take care of this problem, to speak to the radio station. That's the guy. He likes to talk too much. But he's a, he's a great guy, he's a very healthy head. But his problem is, if he needs to speak a thousand words, he will speak two thousand words. For the same thing. A little bit like a lady. You know, Tishar Asara Kavin Shal Dibur Yardula Olam, nine, ah? Tisha Kavin, and no, women, no. All Tisha they took? Wow, wow. Women basically, you know, a conversation between a man to a woman. Husband comes from work, he walks in, his wife all excited. Moshe, you're not going to believe it. Today I got a call from there. She was telling me her daughter and this, and she met that, and they went here, and they did that. 15 minute story, and he said, in the end, nice. <laughs> After 15 minutes, nice. One word. Then she gives another 10 minute speech, then she, he say, wow. Two words. She gave half an hour speech, two words. She asked, that's all you have to say? It's a different psychology between men and women. Different psychology. Now, a big mistake that the men say to the wife, you could have said it in one sentence. I get the point, I'm not a moron. That's a very big mistake. You see, that's what happens when you don't learn what a woman is. If you block a woman from speaking, you know what it's like? It's like imagine you have a big tiger, beautiful, that all week did not eat. And now you put a big chunk of meat with the blood is dripping, you bring your tiger next to it, it's, it takes one bite and you pull him out. Ah, no, that's it. You drive him crazy. If you don't let her talk, 
she's gonna start having tension and pressure and depression and she gets anxiety. They must, they must speak. So you have to be, one of the jobs of being a husband is being a psychologist. Compliments, yes honey, no problem. Wow, you're right, amazing. Ah, wow, every time I speak to you, I feel so much better. <laughs> That's the job. Everyone with a specialty. Women pay attention to details. Men, you like it? Look at this. Wow, I did it like this. I got it from there. I changed it here. Okay, yeah, nice. Pay attention to the art. This is the way Hashem made it. Everyone according to his purpose in life. So bottom line, women have to learn, and they don't learn. But they also don't know how to, how to pray some of them. So this assistant of mine in Israel, when he started to be my assistant, he was a new Baal Tshuva, it was many years ago. One time I gave a lecture, and after the lecture, there was, it was in Ramle. There was 200 people, sardines, in a shul. There's no place to move. Shul wasn't so big. No. I say, Arvit! We need Hazan to pray Arvit. So, somebody told him, Yalla, no, you be Hazan. So he prayed Arvit. I said to him, Shem 500 mistakes. The guy doesn't know how to read. I called him. I said to him, I'm sorry, you want to be my assistant? Rule number one, you on time out now. You suspended until you go and learn how to read. Huh? <laughs> I grew up in schools in Israel. Schools in Israel don't teach anything. You have to learn how to pray. Every other word you made a mistake. Right away he went and started to learn how to read. Now he told me today on the phone, you know, for years I was afraid to go to this kolel to Daven, because over there they kill you. You make one mistake, this old big Talmidei Chachamim, Moroccans, they makpidim very much, and some of them have a little bit hot blood. You know, so you don't want to get them angry. If you make mistakes, they right away they scream, hey, like this. He said, everyone who prayed there is risking his life. <laughs> Finally! I went and davened there, and they told me, Oh, Baruch Hashem, somebody knows how to pray. So I said, Okay, so if they approve you, I approve you also. We have to learn how to pray. Most people don't know how to pray, especially Americans. They make huge mistakes in the davening. Problem is, sometimes you make mistakes in the reading, but you do not change the meaning of the word. Okay, you can live with that. Sometimes you change the meaning of the word. The, the, the tefillah means one thing and you say something completely different. But it's not a curse. It's just a different word, not relevant. You messed up the davini. But sometimes you change it from a blessing into a curse. Every day you ask Hashem to curse you. Because you don't know how to read. I one time saw a video. A guy wants to teach Pirkei Avot. He already knows Torah. Someone that teaches knows Torah, right? Moshe kibel Torah misinai umasra le Yoshua. So I told him something is wrong with the way you say this sentence. Ma? I read it from the Pirkei Avot. Moshe kibel Torah misinai umasra le Yoshua. No, read again. Read again. 
doesn't get the point. I say, Ugmesara. It's two words combined. Masradi means a woman. Ma, Moshe is a woman? You made Moshe a woman? If Moshe was a woman, then you say Masra. Masra ota. You have to say Mesara. Mesara means Masar ota. With the Dagesh in the A. Simple alphabet of grammar. I'm not coming to teach people how to talk. Most people don't know how to talk. They talk Hebrew like my English. Every lecture I get people correct me. You say this, say that, you should say that. Okay, some of it I remember, some of it I continue with the mistakes. But in a lecture, as long as the people got the point, you're okay. They know what you wanted to say. Okay. But in the davening, it changed the meaning of the words. Like the Hasidim say, They ask Hashem to make them shagets. <laughs> it's supposed to be, Not me, means you make me a shaket. Big problem. When people say, Ve'ahavta et Hashem Elokecha, every yeshiva in America, it's like this. The Rebbe comes in the morning, Kindalach, we're going to learn Kriyat Shema. No? Okay. Moishi, start. Ve'ahavta et Hashem Elokecha, Be'chol Levavecha. Nachon, you know it, right? You remember the song. First word, already a huge mistake. With permission of the Rebbe. The Rebbe himself. Why? The Americans. It's a problem. They didn't learn in Yeshivot in Israel. So in Yeshivot in Israel, nobody will let you say Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta means, and you used to love Hashem, but you don't love him anymore. That's what it means, the way they read it. Becomes a curse. You come to praise God and to love him, and what do you do in the end? I used to love you, God, but not anymore. You understand? Or many other mistakes, like Ule Ovdo, Bechol Levavchem. Some people say Ule Ovdo with Aleph. What does it mean, Le Ovdo with Aleph? To destroy the Hashem, Chaz Veshalom. You're coming to say Kriya Shema, you curse Hashem ten times, three times a day, thirty times a day. Do you understand, Rabotai? How many people we have in the world? Close to 8 billion. How many of them are Jewish? 15 million. How many, percentage-wise, if you have 8 billion people in the world, how much is 1% from 8 billion? 80 million people, right? 80 million is 1% of the world. If the Jews are only 15 million, so what part of, a, of, a, of a one we are? A quarter of a percent will be 20 million. So we are less than a quarter of a percent. We are about a fifth of a percent. Meaning 99.8% of the people in the world are Goyim. 0.2% are Jewish. Wait, it gets worse. From the 15 million Jews, how many of them consider to be Jewish according to Shulchan Aruch, to Halakha? Only 3 million the most. 
12 מיליאנס על הגויים מן הלכה. חלל שבת הרי הוא כגוי לכל דבר. כן רידן הרמב״ם, שולחן ערוך, רב עובדיה יוסף, רב בן ציון אבא שאול, רב אלישיב, אולד חסידים, גור וישני, צטמר, אסדל, זה אולד תלמיד הסנטינג. סוף, how many? 3 מיליאן מייבי. If you add all the religious people, mother and orthodox is, why? About 3 מיליאן שומרי שבת, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it's less. But definitely not more than three. From the three million, three million out of eight billion, how many of them are righteous? No lashonara, no stealing in a business, davening with all their heart, the women are fully modest, they makpid very much on kashrut, not to just push everything to their mouth, they don't go to bad places, Miami, this, Vegas, vacation. דובאי, הדובה מדובאי. So, how many? We don't know, but definitely most people, לשון הרע, this, stealing, no אמונה, no davening, השם ירחם, now waking up in the morning, not מקפיד so much in פסח, ממש terrible. So from three million, Maybe one million are mamash makpid, not mother, not fake, real mamash makpid. Learning, connect to Torah, dress like Bnei Torah, the boy and the girls. Family of Bnei Torah, what we call today yeshivash. That's the right word, yeshivash, million. All over the world, Bnei Brak, Yerushalayim, Monsi, Lakewood, Williamsburg, Boro Park. פסק, סטטן איילנד, all together, about a million. And from the million, how many of them has great מידות? Maybe 10,000. Real מידות, no pride, no ego, no anger, no stinginess, no laziness, full control, strong אמונה. Never cheat, never lie, ne- never fake anything, devotion. How many? 10,000? That's the world. The Gemara says, hell is huge, heaven is tiny. How many times the word hell is mentioned in the Gemara? Who knows? You're not supposed to say, you heard it already. It's for them, it's a quiz for them, not for the teacher. 133 עמק הבכה, עמק יצבלי, בכה means a place that people cry. When I was a little kid, almost a baby, my father עליו השלום called me בכה. Why? I guess I used to cry a lot. I wish today I would cry more, especially when you daven. עוברי בעמק הבכה, מעיין ישיתוהו. Those who goes into the valley of crying, meaning hell. They're getting punished for all the horrible things they did in this life. They have Mayan. 
a spring, water, lots of water around. One time I asked, I don't understand. I don't understand. When the Nazis put the Jews in Auschwitz, did they care to make the view around Auschwitz nice, that the Jews will enjoy the view? If the Nazis will make the view in Auschwitz nice, do you think one Jew would care about the view? Hey, Hans, why you brought us to here, next to this lake? I wanted you to have a good Jew, a good view, good view. <laughs> I want you to have a good view. The Jew will say, you're going to kill me, and you're making me a nice view? Who cares about the view? Don't kill me and put me in the ugliest view. Right? Doesn't make any sense. One time my friend told me a great joke. He said to me, the, the one person accidentally arrived to an island of cannibals. They eat people over there. So they grabbed him. Wow! A good meal came. They put him in a boiling kettle. Boiling kettle. And one guy, the chef, is keep eating him on the head. And then one more person came and said, What's your name? <laughs> so the guy said, Why do you care about my name? You're about to eat me anyway. <laughs> so he told him, Yes, we want to know what to write in the menu. <laughs> Bottom line, you're about, to, you're about to torture me over here. You're making me a view. Lake, spring. No, my friend. Emek Abacha means there was a valley, but it was empty. But throughout the generation, so many people are crying there from not being righteous. I had it. Why didn't, didn't I listen to the speaker? Why I stare at modern rotten faker? Why did I not become really an observant? Why I did not fix my midot, Shabbat, Honesty, integrity, generosity. Why? Why? I had millions. I could have given. I could have done. I could have learned. Hashem gave me a brain. Now I have to pay for it. Who knows how many years? So the crying over there made a river of tears. Of Rebbe Mekabacha, a place where everyone cried. I always tell my little boy, I always tell him like this, Hashem gave you a super sharp, smart brain. That means he expects from you to be Gdolador. Nothing less. Nothing less. If you will use this brain for anything in life, besides to become Gdolador, you will be a criminal. I already told them to him maybe 20 times. Until the message will be absorbed. I have this gift for only one reason, to be Gdolador. Then there is a chance I will be. You can use this brain for a lot of other things. You'll be a politician, you'll be a lawyer, you'll be a great doctor, you'll be a fundraiser. Smart people, they know how to, how to be successful in many things. Be a tycoon of real estate, be a stock genius. That's now I gave you the brain for. I gave you the brain because I expect you to be Chacham Ovad Yosef, Rav Ben Tzion Abba Shaul, Rav Eliyashiv. That's why I gave you a brain. 
every running out, running around, running away from the mission, it's a crime. Same thing by the ladies. I gave you a beautiful face and a beautiful body and all of that. For what? To be extra modest. If I made you very ugly, there's not, there's not such a big test. Not running to show your ugliness everywhere. If I made you super, super special pretty, it's not because I wanted you to be in a fashion show or on flyers or on a street walking around and checking who gives you attention. It's the exact opposite. The prettier you are, the more modest you must be, like Sarah Imenu. But the pretty women, they don't get it. They do the opposite. A lot of Jews are brilliant. So instead of becoming Ravovadia, they become Alan Dershowitz. They go and pretend to protect all kinds of criminals because he's the best lawyer in America. One day, Dershowitz will stand in front of Hashem and Hashem say, no, let's see how much Torah you know. Doesn't know anything. Super smart Harvard uh, professor for law. he cannot explain. What a miserable guy. They have hundred million dollars, five hundred what is it gonna help him? Shem said, okay, no, you have to give me now two hundred days of divre Torah. He won't be able to give two hundred seconds of divre Torah. You can tell him about a trial here, a trial there. Shem said, get out of my face, Rasha. Right away. What did I give your brain like this for? It happens a lot, what do you think? Do you know how many people in Israel, real big shots, used to be Talmidei Shiva when they were young? They left the Torah and they became very big reshaim. You know how many people in universities, haters of Torah, they grew up religious until a certain age? If you only knew that, you would not believe the, the numbers. I can tell you from an average that from every ten Israelis that I meet that are totally wicked, three of them grew up in yeshivot. That's the statistic. All kinds of Yemenites, Ashkenazim. Oh, don't look at me like this. I was Hasidish until age 16. I was Hasidish until age 12. Oh, I was learning in Yeshiva. My grandfather was a Mori in Yemen. I was this, I was that. What are you now? What are you now? Even some of the members in Israeli Knesset that are very much into the left and anti-Judaism, they were Bachurei Yeshivot. The Gemara said, Someone that was in my Torah and left it and replaced it for something else, he's going to suffer the most out of everyone. Because it's not Tinok Shenishba. Sometimes you have Tinok Shenishba. You know what Tinok Shenishba means? A Jew grew up in some kibbutz. Never in his life he heard Hashem, heard about Torah, heard about Shabbat. He doesn't know anything from his life. On, on Pesach they fed him bread. So he doesn't really know. Someone who grew up in yeshiva and left and became anti-Torah is the biggest criminal. Somebody like that that would like to make repentance, it would be almost impossible for him. Shana v'piresh kashem ikulav. Et inok shenishba, it can be two hours and he become religious. Like the boy I told you before. Remember? One time in his life, he heard 45 minutes, started to cry, yes, Rashani. I didn't know all these things. Sometimes you have people, I remember one time I gave a lecture here in Brooklyn, 
I was speaking about the crimes of the Zionist, communist, anti-religious people that came to Israel before it becomes the state of Israel. Now you know, the Israelis, they are very offended, the secular Israelis, they're very offended that you speak against their heroes, Jabotinsky, Ben-Gurion, Herzl, because they are brainwashed in Israeli schools that these people are some kind of heroes. They don't know they're all enemies of God and they made Israel a state of Goim. That's what Satmer hates Israel so much because of all these people. So I was speaking about all their crimes and one Yemenite guy got up, very arrogant, started to scream and, and everybody argued with everyone and plus on top of it he screams at me. And I had an overhead projector. I didn't have a laptop. I had a big projector. It's heavy. You know, this big projector that he put the transparencies on the light. Plus, I had a few books. So I'm there. And he began to scream. Then he said to me, you want to see what I used to be? Took his wallet out. He took a, a, a small passport picture, black and white. Small picture. Here, this is who I used to be. I look at the picture, black hat, peot, simonim, beard. He looked like 19 years old there. Now he's about 40, 40 something. This is what I used to be. I look at him now, complete goy. I look at the picture, complete rebbe. I say, so what happened? He says, it's all my father's fault. I said to him, why? What did your father do? He said, my father forced me to be religious with violence. And then in the end, I just could not stand it anymore. You want to hear what my father did to me? I don't know how all of a sudden, from speaking about Herzl de Rasha, he decided now it's time to confess about his father's abuse. You don't want to see what my father did to me? Tell you what he did to me. On Shabbat, when all my friends would run around in the neighborhood and playing, all the little Yemenite kids in Israel, sit, put the Gemara in front of my eyes, learn. So I was curious to see what my friends are playing outside. Don't look at the window, learn. So he was on the couch falling asleep like this, every few seconds opening his eye to check. And when he saw me looking to the window, he got up, give me a smack. I told you, don't look at the window. So when he saw that violence does not really fix the problem, that I'm not into the Gemara, he took a bandage with a rock, a stone, heavy stone. He put the stone on my neck, he wrapped my head with a stone that I could not pick up my head because I was a child and you know it's heavy. It would bring my head down that I must look at the Gemara. Meaning you don't want to look at the Gemara on your own. You would look at the Gemara or you die. Now, now, you, now you wonder why he hates Torah so much and he's about to kill me. This was the first time in 25 years. I mean, this was uh, probably 15 years ago, this story. But I was already speaking a lot by then. I gave a lot of lecture. I already felt that my life is in a risk. That soon he's going to think maybe I'm his father. 
It's gonna come and choke me or stab me. So while they were all arguing, I took my overhead projector and my books in the middle of the lecture. I ran out of the door quickly, speed, ran to my car, started the car and ran mamash like I, I'm running from Arafat or something. As I'm driving, he chased me to the street. I hear in the back of my ear, F.O.U.K. Where is he? That's it. Do you understand, Rabotai? So Baruch Hashem, our parents are not like this, and we are not such parents. We try to give love to our children. Love is the number one condition. You gotta learn. Sometimes you make mistakes, you learn. Especially with your first children, you make more mistakes because you're inexperienced. Before you get married, there's a lot to learn. Men and women. A lot to learn. If you make certain mistakes, you actually make a huge damage to your children. Even though it's innocent mistake, you mean well. You know what they say in America, the road to hell is full of great intentions. You meant well, but you destroyed the world. That's why, Rabotai, this is a wake-up call for all of us. For all of us. And I will finish with the last minute. Rav Shach Asraf Galinsky, when you say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy, who are you thinking about? He did not wait for my answer. He said, I have in mind Jimmy Carter. Shem Reshaim Irkav. The antisemite, second worst president of America, after Hussein Obama. The two big antisemites, Hussein Obama and Jimmy Carter, haters of Israel. Until Hussein showed up, he was the worst one. Hussein took the title. I think about him, he was visiting Israel those days supposedly to orchestrate a, a, a peace process between Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin. Remember those days? 40 years ago. So he said, when I said in the morning, Baruch Atah Hashem, Okenu Melech HaOlam, that did not make me a goy, I had in mind, thank you, I'm not Jimmy Carter. I'm not thinking about some homeless guy in the street of Manhattan, can you spare some change? Or the people who are fainting inside their own bathroom over there on the streets. Those people that sleep in the bus stops. Not this kind of goyim. I thought about the Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, all these famous goyim, successful, control the world. A Jew, even the most wicked one, a real criminal, a real criminal, is he allowed to say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy? How come? Goy is a million times better than him. Even an idol worshiper Goy is better than him. Some fanatic Christian who bowed down to J.C. Penny. Still better than him. Is less criminal. How many crimes the Goy commit? If it's non-kosher, he's allowed. If he's breaking Shabbat, he's allowed. If he steals, it's a crime. If he murders, it's a crime. If he has a girlfriend, a goy, it's not a crime. 
He can have children with her. They don't have to get married. It's not a crime for him. So the goyim potentially can be much smaller criminals than us. Because the more you are obligated to do and you neglect, the worse you are. There's two workers in a company. One is taking care of all the money and one is taking care of cleaning the kitchen. Who will be punished more for destroying his job? The one who did not clean the kitchen or the one who messed up in the money and all the money is gone? You have a bigger obligation. It's a, go, a Jew, the biggest criminal that say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy is first of all, is he allowed to say or no? The answer is, he's allowed to say it. It's a little bit like a joke. Look at him, this drug addict. How he looks, he gets up in the morning. Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy The Goy, Ahmed, over there say, Wow, you would die to be like me. I'm much more religious than you. I don't eat pork. Uh, my wife is covered from head to toe. I pray five times to God. I love God. I will never steal. I will never kill. <laughs> you know. The word did not come out. But the Jew is still saying, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shelo Asani Goy. The question is, how come? One of the prophets, Hoshea. This is Gemara in Masechet Psachim, page 87. The Gemara says, Your children committed sins. He should have said, Em, Chanunechahem. You should have said to him, they are your children. You always have mercy on them. They are the children of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Galgel rachamecha alehem. Have mercy on them. Not only he did not say that, he said, Ribono shel olam, you are the master of universe. Change them. Replace them with another nation. That's what the prophet said. You're right, they don't deserve for you to be their father. Why they should be the chosen people? They betrayed you, throw them to the garbage, take a different nation instead. Take the Africans, take the Chinese, take the Arabs, take the Europeans. Take somebody. The Noam Elimelech, the big Hasidish Talmid Chacham, he writes in his book, Likutei Shoshana. It was his Yorzeit. In a couple of days. Tonight is the Yorzeit of Ramoshe Feinstein Zatzal. Vechas veshalom leoto tzadik sheikatreg al Yisrael. How the Prophet is saying kitrug against... He's supposed to be the lawyer of your client, not a prosecutor. How the Prophet says such thing? Should I find an excuse? The answer is, replace them with another nation means... Compare them to another nation. Go and try to replace them with another nation. If you find a better nation than them, as bad as they are, if you find any nation that is worse than them, replace them. You won't find. You're so confident. Why? Because as bad as they are, they will always be better than the other nations. When Hashem came to Avraham, Avinu, and said to him, Banecha Chatuli, 
Your children committed sins against me. You know what Avram say? What did Avram say? What? No, who knows the words of Avram Avinu? Avram Avinu was fighting for the wicked people of Sodom. Maybe there are righteous people over there, you're going to kill them with the wicked? In the end, in the end, Akadosh Baruch Hu, in the argue with Avram argued with Hashem, maybe there are 50, maybe there are 40, 20. Oh. In the end, there was no righteous people there. Hashem said, if there will be righteous people, thanks to them, I will not kill all the wicked. I'll let them live. But there was no, uh, no, no righteous people at all. When, they, when he came to Avraham Avinu and said to him, Banecha Chatuli, what did Avraham say? Who knows? No, what? What did he say? I'll tell you what it means, then I'll tell you what he said. He said to Hashem, if my children committed sins to you, erase them. Erase them. What does it mean, erase them? Erase them al kdushat shemecha. For the sake of the holiness of your name. What does it mean? Avraham Avinu does not care about the Jewish nation, doesn't want to help them? You know, in the Holocaust, there were a lot of secular Jews there, atheists, all kinds of academic Jews. 80% of the Germans were intermarried already. All the synagogues in Germany were all reformed. There was no Orthodox people in Germany. They changed the tefillah from Jerusalem to Berlin. They don't want to go to Jerusalem. All reforming. They were not as bad as the reform today in America. Today, Hashem Rachem, the reform is... Uh, they lost completely... In the Kristallnacht, they burned 1,300 synagogues. All were reformed. All of them. I asked Rav Ben Porat, number one expert in the Jewish world for the Holocaust. And there's not one detail he doesn't know by heart. By heart. There's not a book about the Holocaust he did not investigate. Baruch Hashem, I invite him always to my seminars in Israel. We sit and eat dinner together. I asked him, where did you get this knowledge that all the 1,300 synagogues that were burned in a crystal nacht, they were all reformed? He gave me a smile. He said, naivi. Naive, you are naive. So why? He said there was no Orthodox Jews in Germany. Everybody was reformed. So why, how are they going to have Orthodox synagogues? <laughs> no, nobody there. Nobody there stay Orthodox. In Poland, yes. There's a lot of Hasidim. Germany, nobody. Look how bad it became. 80% of them were married to Goim. Nothing to do with Torah anymore. They took one doctor. Married to Goya, has three children with the Goya. The Goya told the Nazis where he's hiding. He was in the attic. She said, go find him over there. They took him over there. He's standing online. 
and cries. So everybody say to him, why are you crying? He say, look at her, how she's standing over there with my son and smiling and talking to a friend while I'm standing here on dead road. That's what happened. Some of this spouse called them, he's hiding there. That's what happened. One of the rabbis said, the level of unity we reach in Auschwitz was the highest it can ever be. They asked him why. Everybody fought for a piece of bread. People will kill each other for a piece of bread. Where is the unity over there? He said in the Holocaust, Holocaust there was no Litvish, Hasidish, secular. We all shaved, they shaved our head. There was no yarmulke, no kaputa, no streimel, no chabad hat, no sfaradi terben. Everyone was equal. When you had a person in front of you and a person behind you, you did not know if he's secular, if he's a chassid, if he's a yeke, if he's chabadnik, if he's a vishnitz, you did not know. They made us all look at each other equally. This will never return. He survived the Holocaust. Then the... There was no way to know. You see somebody, you don't know he's religious, not religious. We all with the pyjama, with the shaved head. Nobody knew who's religious, who's a tzaddik, who's not. Yet big rabbis, nobody recognized them. It's because they keep transferring you. You're not always with your student that knows who you are. You're from a different town. All of a sudden nobody knows you. They make you clean the dirt, the garbage until somebody will recognize you, Rebbe, move, you're not supposed to do this, let me do it. He didn't know this. Abraham Avinu said to Hashem, as bad as the Jews are, even in the hardest moment, they will die not to erase your name. That's what it means. Al Kedushat Shemecha. Yamutu Al Kedushat Shemecha. They will die for the sake of your, of your name. They took that doctor, completely secular, all his life fought the religion. Cannot stand religious. That's allergic to religion. They open up the Torah on the floor, and they say to him, if you make your bathroom here, we let you go free. You're not going to die now. And all his life he spoke against the Torah. All his life. They said to him, if you won't do it, we'll kill you right now. And he said, I won't do this. I said, why? You're not one of the religious people. Look at you. Don't even have this on your head. Nothing. Do it. We'll let you go. Free. We free you. I won't do this. They killed him in a worse way. That's what Abraham Avinu said to Hashem. No matter how horrible this Jew is, unless he's Erev Rav, it's a different story. I have a whole lecture about them. No matter how anti-religion he is, no matter how much he ate the rabbis, no matter what, it's all they speak against. In the moment that you tell him, come speak to the Torah or do what you have to do, he won't agree. Very interesting. They won't agree. That's why a worse Jew can still say, Because there are certain things he won't agree to do. Now we got, we're going into Purim. 
I told you in the beginning of the lecture, I asked you a question which you already forgot, but I'm going to give you the answer anyway. I asked you why when Mashiach would come, Purim will still remain in his power even then. The answer is, we had two salvations in history. One in Pesach and one in Purim. Two salvations. What does it mean, two salvations? We were in exile in, uh, in Egypt, they killed us, whatever, and then we came out. How many Jews came out? 20%. 80% died. Died in Egypt. Meaning 12 million died. 3 million came out, 12 million died. Chamushim yatsu b'nei Yisrael mimitzrayim. Degmara say, chad mi chamisha, one out of five. Purim is a perfect salvation, better than Pesach. Because in Purim, all Jews were supposed to die, and in the end, one Jew did not get a scratch. The Jews turned from a victim into a prosecutor, and they killed 75,500 Nazis. Nazis of the time of Amman, anti-Semites. Not only nobody died, we actually killed all the enemies of Israel, one by one. It was a fantastic salvation. Pesach, not a perfect salvation. Only 20% got saved and the rest died. And the other 20% all died in the desert. Only Yoshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yefune entered Israel from all the people that came out of Egypt. Nobody entered Israel. Just two people from three million. That's not a perfect salvation. But we celebrate it every year in, in Passover. All the mitzvot, Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, because that's all we have. We don't have any better option. But when the Mashiach comes, it's going to be a final salvation. All the wicked people in the world will all be wiped out. Jews and non-Jews. There's not going to be one Mechalel Shabbat left. There's not going to be one Rasha, one Malve Beribi, none. No gays, no gay parade, no seculars, uh, liberal lefties, uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders and anti-Israel and pro-Iran. None of them will be left in the world. There will be only devoted righteous people. A real one. The beard won't make you survive. What will so make you survive if Hashem can say, this guy is good. This guy cared about other Jews, this guy did, this guy donated, this guy kept Shabbat, this guy learned Torah, this guy did a lot of chesed. So you will survive. The rest of all the garbage in the world will all be cleaned out. There will be only righteous Jews and righteous Gentiles. And this salvation will be a final one. Why? Because after that there will never be war anymore. All the goyim will put their army into deceased situation. There's not going to be any more anti-Semitism. There will be a temple, no more evil inclination, and everybody learns Torah like addicts, non-stop. Nobody cares about anything, no material, nothing. And even the goyim that will remain will be so hungry for Torah that we will be light for the Gentiles. They will all come, tell us, tell us what you learned from Mashiach. So that will be the perfect salvation. Once we're going to have the perfect salvation, what do we need to, uh, to talk about Pesach? It's a joke compared to this. 
וגמרא אסק Should we continue to say Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim? Yeah. We have a question in a, in a Haggadah. You will remember me in a month. And the question is, Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Are ani keben 70 shana, Velo zachiti shetamer Yitziat Mitzrayim balelot. Ad sheba ben zoma udrasha, Right? That you have to say it at night. Why? He learned it from a Pasuk. What's the Pasuk? You have to do, it says in a day, and kol yemechayecha. It's a kol, you have to keep it. Kol yemechayecha, the exodus of Egypt. Now they have an argument. What does it mean kol yemechayecha? The Chachamim say, now and in days of Mashiach. The, the, uh, who was the Cholek on the Chachamim? Was one of the Chachamim that say, no, it means day and night. Day and night. Why night? Yes. Why at night? Why at night? Because you don't talk about tzitzit at night. Because tzitzit you need to see. So why we read in Shema Yisrael, Daber Bnei Yisrael, Amartalem Vasulaim tzitzit? Why you put it in the Tfilat Arvit? Why? Because we learned from the Pasuk, Kol Yemechayecha. Day, Kol means the entire 24 hours. The Chachamim said, no, that's not what it means. Yes, it's true, <coughs> but there's another reason. Why? That we will continue to talk about the exodus of Egypt and the salvation even after Mashiach come. So the question about the Chachamim is, what's the big chidush here? What's the big deal? Of course we're going to talk about it. It's a part of the mitzvot. Tfilin, Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, Shabbat, holidays. It's all about the exodus of Egypt. The answer is, Rabotai, if you have a silver coin that your father gave you, that's all you have. You always look at that. Wow, it's so pretty. One day after 20 years, your father give you a 10 carat diamond worth a thousand times more than this coin. From the minute you got the diamond, do you want to look at the silver coin? Where is your silver coin? I don't remember where I put it. What? You did not leave it for a minute. I really don't remember. I threw it somewhere. Why? Now when you gave me a $10 million diamond, who cares about the $50 coin? That's what the Chachamim say. After Mashiach would come, to talk about the exodus of Egypt would look like a joke compared to the days of Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead, all the tzaddikim will come back to life, David HaMelech, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, all the Rabbanim, all the, all the Admorim. I mean, such an amazing time. See, who are you? David Ben Ishai. Oh my God, who are you? Shaul HaMelech. Who are you? Chizkiyahu. Who are you? Rabbi Akiva. Who are you? Rabbi Yochanan. Imagine this. Imagine all the people who run to Rabbi, so bracha, Rabbi, bracha. Or 20 times a day, bracha. You know these people? They're very, very uptight. Bracha, again, Rabbi, again, bracha. Imagine now, they're going to have 50,000 tzaddikim that they read about them in the Tanakh standing here. Who are you going to go for bracha first? You have to set your head. When will be resurrection of the dead? Bezrat Hashem, if I'll be tzaddik, who should I run for bracha first? Avraham Avinu. Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron HaKohen, Baba Sali, you're not going to know who to choose. But Baruch Hashem, Daya Letzara Bishata. When it comes, we will, we will know what to do. But that's the point here. The point here, 
that after Pesach, after the Mashiach came, Pesach would look like a joke. <laughs> 80% died in Egypt. We celebrate Pesach. Look what happened now in Mashiach. We got rid of all our enemies. No more Shibut Malchuyot. No anti-Semites left. No more Nazis in the world. No more anti-Semite Arabs. Everybody is gone. Finally, we're really free. After Egypt, we were not free. 2,000 years, they kill us non-stop. That's when the Megillah comes and says, the Gemara, that Purim, even after those holidays will be cancelled, meaning they will not have any significance. Rosh Hashanah will not be as important anymore because there's not going to be a judgment day because there's no more Yetzirah. What am I going to judge you for? Because you don't deserve anymore for learning Torah because you don't have any resistance. Yom Kippur, you won't need. You're not going to make scenes. You don't need Yom Kippur. Sukkot is a memory of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim is not significance anymore. Uh, Shavuot, what's the significance of that? Everything connects in the end. None of it is important as it used to be. But Purim will always stay in the highest level. Why? Why? Because it was a perfect salvation even before Mashiach. Nobody died. Not one person died. That's why we call Yom Kippurim Kepurim. The Ari HaKadosh said that Purim, Kippurim, Yom Kippur is like Purim. Not the other way around. What do you mean? Yom Kippur is from the Torah. Purim is rabbinical. You can reach, you can reach on Purim the same level that you reach on, on Yom Kippur in Tfilat Neila. How all the people cry in Tfilat Neila, the last hour of Yom Kippur. Purim, it looks like a party time. Everybody eats, drinks, you know, no, no. Pray in the tefillot of Purim, you can get everything you want in life. You need shiduch, you need this, you need health. Don't think Purim is a joke. It's very, very serious. Bezrat Hashem, everybody will take it. Al Anisim, we don't forget, we say, we read Megillah Thursday night. You go and hear the Megillah, make sure you don't miss a word. Pay attention to every word. Friday morning we pray early, we make a meal in the morning because we cannot make it too close to Shabbat. You have to give at least two poor people a decent charity. What is decent charity? A respectable meal. My guess, 20, 25 dollars to two different people, let's say 50 bucks, you cover two poor people. Uh, you have to give Mishloach Manot to at least one person, two kinds of food. Better not to give cooked food unless they know you and they trust your kashrut. They will eat your food, then you can give them a cake that you made or whatever, and something else. But if there's strangers to strangers, better you give them things with have the kashrut on it. Two different things. Don't go crazy with all this candy. Candy is poison. It kills the, the teeth and the mind of a person. Just two different things. To one person. The more you give, it's extra. But you only need to give one person two kinds of meal. Men to men, women to woman to woman. That's it. So if you give one person two things, matana, and the wife gave to another woman two, finish. Better to give to someone that does not like you so much. Give it to your best friend, with or without that he likes you. Better to give to someone that is angry at you. And is not so happy with you. Why? By giving it, you make automatic peace. They have a question in Alachai, if someone that sits in Shiva, Lo Aleno, sits Shiva, 
They're allowed to give mishloach manot. Why? Because you're not allowed to ask hello, to, to say hello to someone that's in Shiva. You're not allowed to say shalom. You don't say shalom to him, and he does not say shalom to you. So they ask, by giving him food, is this considered rishat shalom or no? So some of the poskim say there's nothing bigger than this for peace. That's why you're not allowed to give when you see Shiva Mishloach Manot. But the Shulchan Aruch did not agree. Tzalachai and Shulchan Aruch, even someone that sees Shiva Lo Alenu has to give Mishloach Manot. Better to give Matanot Laevionim that learn Torah. Mishloach Manot, better to give to someone that make brachot on the food. If it's someone who eats without bracha, better not to give him anything. Anything. Even if he's your brother. Why? He's using the money and the, and the food and everything you give him against Hashem. There's no mitzvah to help criminals to prosecute more crimes. If you have a brother that is not Shomer Shabbat and he asks your car on Shabbat, because he you knows you Shomer Shabbat, can I use your car Friday afternoon? I'll pick it up, I'll bring it back to you Sunday, and I'll have to give him. Because you know he's going to drive on Shabbat. Without you, he won't drive. With your car now, he drives, you make a scene. You become a partner to his crime. If you know your parents are not eating kosher food and you want to help them financially, don't give them cash to go to the supermarket and buy non-kosher meat or whatever. Buy them the food. Or open them an account in a glad kosher supermarket that all the things there are kosher. That you force them to buy only kosher food. And you're not allowed to give them cash that they will go to McDonald's. You become a criminal with them, a part of the crime. There's a lot of laws. If we won't learn, every day we will make hundreds of sins. The more educated you are, the less sins you make. The less sins you make, the higher your place will be in heaven. Very simple. Matt, thank you very much. I hope, Bezrat Hashem, we got some inspiration here tonight. We have some USB of my lecture. You have hundreds of hundreds of hours of lectures for free if you want. Someone sponsor it. Right here, about 20 of them. Call a Kodem Zoche. You plug it in your car or in your TV or in your, in your laptop. You have 2,000 hours of lecture here. In every topic you can think in English. All of right here. This one is in Hebrew. If you want in Hebrew, there's one in Hebrew. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer. Ratzah Kadosh Baruch.